I'm Richard Krauss, and welcome to a special hour-long and spoiler-free look at Star Wars The Last Jedi. We've been there before. The Force is what gives the Jedi his power. Han Solo. I'm Captain of the Millennium Falcon. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. And this weekend, 40 years after the 1977 original, we're going back once again to that galaxy far, far away. You've seen this place. Only in dreams. Who are you? Something inside me is awake. What do you see? Light. Darkness. This is not going to go the way you think. Kylo failed you. I won't. We have to fight. Fulfill your destiny. Now, if you haven't seen Star Wars The Force Awakens yet, here's a spoiler alert. Luke turned his back on everything and went to hang out with the Porgs on a deserted island after his nephew slaughtered all his new Jedi. This weekend, fans will flock to theaters to find out what happens next in the Skywalker saga. Who is Rey? What's the deal with Snoke? Why are Chewie and the Porgs screaming in the trailer? All will be revealed in the most anticipated movie release of the year. In this hour, we'll hear from some sci-fi and fantasy experts, my pals from Inner Space on the Space Channel, a longtime Star Wars fan who debunks the myth that Star Wars fans are all nerdy basement dwellers, and we can start with the man responsible for hyping up all Canadians about all of the Star Wars movies coming soon to a theater near you. I'm with Greg Mason. He's the head of Lucasfilm Marketing in Canada. Welcome. Thank you, Richard. So, it, I mean, it's almost Christmas, but is this like Christmas for you with a new Star Wars movie coming out? This is like Christmas. There are <laughs> countdowns to Christmas and there are countdowns to Star Wars. And from a marketing point of view, everyone on the planet knows Star Wars. So when a new film comes out, like The Last Jedi, does this make it harder for you to find a new way in to allow people to find out about it? Or is it easier because everyone on the planet knows about Star Wars already? Well, it's true. I get that comment often that do you have to do anything uh, <laughs> at all? You put it much more politely. Um, you, you just have to do things very differently. Yeah. You, you know, with Star Wars, it's really about how little you can say, how little you can reveal and you know, trying to preserve that experience for when you sit and watch the film, mm -hmm. and it feels so fresh that first time. And, and I think JJ set the table for that. You know, at the time we had, I think, seven minutes of the film to work with. And but I don't know if you remember watching it for the first time. Yeah. I certainly do. I kind of felt like I was seeing something so fresh. It wasn't like you'd seen the trailer and I know everything that's going to happen. It it feels great. So. For marketing, it's really about holding back and, and giving the morsels as, as needed. And But also, you do need to demonstrate what's new, especially to the, the new generation, the kids who are haven't grown up on it and uh, are starting fresh with Star Wars. 
And there's new characters and new things happening in this one, so you have to give people a glimpse of it. Does the internet chatter that happens, the inevitable internet chatter that happens every time one of these trailers would come out, uh, people would have to write about the pork. Oh, we know all about them. They're, they're pro does that hurt or help? Does it overexpose or does it just help keep the conversation going? I, I think it keeps a great conversation going. I know, you know, folks at Lucasfilm and, and our office, we love reading it. It's just yeah. so much fun to read. You know, some of it, they make it close. Some of it is so far off, but it's just really interesting and, and, you know, what a privilege to work on a property that has so many people speculating and interested and engaged in, in what's going to happen. It's interesting now that there is a new one coming out every year. It doesn't seem to have diminished. I was wondering if over time, by the time we got to the second one with the, with the standalone in the middle and then there'd be that people might go, oh, another Star Wars coming. Oh, I'll probably go see it. That hasn't happened. People are still very excited. So stepping outside the marketing point of view, like what is it do you think that keeps people coming back every single time? There is just something incredibly special about Star Wars. And I think if you were to say, what is the ultimate cinematic experience, like a movie you have to see yeah. in the theaters, I think it's Star Wars. That's just where you sit down, you've got your popcorn, you've got to see it on that big screen. You want to experience it with, you know, people that you know are going to enjoy it as well. There's just something about that property that has stood the test of time and, uh, and it is a must-see. You just, you have to see it that way. I'm speaking with Greg Mason. He heads Lucasfilm Marketing in Canada. Um, I agree. I think when we saw... Uh, the first new ones, The Force Awakens. Uh, nobody had seen it. We all saw it at the same time. You guys hadn't seen it. You had seen seven or eight minutes of it. And you had something, what happened? You went to Los Angeles and they showed you a very little bit of it, but but barely more than the public had seen, right? Yeah, we had we'd seen a little bit, and each time we do see some of it. We don't see all of it. We actually yeah. see. Uh, I will screen it with you when we watch right. it together. That'll be my first time seeing it, which is really kind of fun and refreshing in, yeah. in the business. But you're right; we do get these little morsels that are given to us, and some of them you are just dying to tell your family, friends, uh, you know, what you've seen and what's going to happen. And there's some really special treats in in the Last Jedi mm -hmm. that I know you're going to love. Um, but of course, if I I say any more, the stormtroopers are going to come marching right in here and, and carry me out. <laughs> and uh, tell me about the ancillary stuff. So I was buying toothpaste the other day, and I walked past the Band-Aid aisle, and Chewbacca's on Band-Aids now. There's <laughs> like their Star Wars characters seem to have seeped down into every part of of you know popular culture. Um, how important is that in terms again of marketing the movie? Is does it just keep it alive, or is it for fans? just so they can have cool stuff that they want around the house. What is it? Well, we've been very fortunate. We've got some great partners in Canada on the film, and we do try to be selective. It may not appear that from seeing, uh, you know, <laughs> Chewy on Band-Aids, but uh, we do try to be selective to try to find some some partners that, you know, it brings some life to their brand. It mm -hmm. brings some coolness to their brand. You know, they're, they're embracing what's happening in pop culture uh, right now. For us, it's just that lovely groundswell as you build up to, to the film's release. And I think you'll notice, especially on the TV spots, you know, currently running with Canadian Tire and mm -hmm. Bell and Nissan, um, you know, we try to always do it that is true to the Star Wars universe and keeps sort of that spirit and flavor of the film. We, we It's painstaking what we go through to try to make sure that we preserve that. You don't have to tell me examples, but are there things that you think of that would go, oh, that would be really cool, and then... Someone else further on, either up or down the line, says, yeah, but uh, it doesn't fit the brand or it's not quite 
Star Warsy enough. Well, there's there's always little things that creep up. For for the most part, we we know what the the flavor and the feel should yeah. look like, uh, and and what we're after uh, for the Star Wars universe. But there's always something, you know, that will come up that you know, and I'm just making this up. This yeah. isn't, but you know, uh, well, porgs wouldn't eat that, and you know, right. I, mean, well, I don't right, know what right, porgs right. eat. <laughs> so there's you know things things kind of come up along along those lines now and then, which we have you know experts. One of them you've spoken to, Pablo, you know, can answer to that detail. Pablo. Hidalgo is the walking encyclopedia of all things Star Wars. He it's is. unbelievable. He is. He's incredible. He, <laughs> he knows everything inside and out on the property. Do you have a house filled with Star Wars stuff? I have a few things that I've <laughs> kept, uh, you know, if confessions are, are allowed here. Um, I have a BB-8 that I really like uh, that, I, that I've held on to. Like not a full-sized one. I have. It's a replica of, really? a, of, a, of a BB-8. Um, but BB-8's been, been really fun. Sorry to dig, digress, yeah. but we actually have BB-8 in Toronto, as yeah. you've probably seen him booting around. And it's just amazing to see the reaction um, from, you know, kids and big kids, yeah. too, you know, to, to this character who they've j- just beloved. You know, there are so few movie franchises out there that are really, truly intergenerational. I mean, truly intergenerational. I, you know, I would imagine that there are grandparents taking very little kids and those grandparents went to see Star Wars for the first time in 1977 when they were youngish, maybe not kids, but young. And now they probably took their kids and then their kids. And and, and it really, there's, I, I can't really think of another one. I mean, I'm sure there must be something, but Star Wars really is truly, you know, intergenerational Mickey Mouse, I guess, but they don't make Mickey Mouse movies so much anymore. No, but you're, you're spot on. And it's funny because when we, when we market films, you know, we, we start and we build a strategy and we look yeah. at all these things specific to Canada and, you know, the target market and who, who's the target, who's the demo. And every Star Wars film, it says, it literally says on the page, target, everyone. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's true. There's nobody you would want to miss reaching with this film because this does play right across generations. And, and so many older generations are wanting to share it with their kids and bring them up and are taking them through the series of films uh, prior to seeing The Last Jedi. I'm speaking with Greg Mason, the head of Lucasfilm Marketing in Canada. So Disney owns Lucasfilm. You are also working for Disney. And a few years ago, I went to D23. And one of the things that blew my mind about that in terms of this intergenerational thing is that uh, you would see a grandparent their child, their child, and all wearing Mickey Mouse ears and that sort of thing. And there's something about Disney that they understand or they have properties that seem to play over larger age ranges, it, I think. Yeah, you're you're 100 right, Richard. It's we've been very very fortunate. We have, uh, you know, the properties under our belt, including Marvel, Lucasfilm, mm-hmm. Disney, Pixar, uh, uh, everything. They're, essentially, they're all doing exceptionally well. <laughs> yeah. And I think what you know, Bob Iger is a, an incredible leader. And what he did very very well when he brought on Lucasfilm, when he brought on Marvel, was he left well enough alone. Mm-hmm. Which you know, if you look back on the internet, there were tons of jokes about yeah. you know, oh, we're going to Mickey Mouse Marvel characters, we're going right. to Mickey Mouse Darth. Vader and, and, you know, bring it down a level. And and if anything, you know, I think that the creative folks who've been left to, to build these great brands have actually elevated their game and gotten better. And, and that has been a real testament to, you know, let people stay in their lane, let them do well, and don't try to change anything. When we come back, more of my conversation with Greg Mason, head of Lucasfilm Marketing in Canada. Welcome back. I'm Richard Krauss, and this is an hour-long spoiler-free look at Star Wars The Last Jedi. We're back with Greg Mason. He's the head of Lucasfilm Marketing in Canada. I asked him about Ryan Johnson. He's the director of the film, and I said, 
He's the real deal. He gets the genre. He grew up with Star Wars, so he'll have some reverence for the movies, but I think he'll also do things his own way. Uh, he will, but you can see that we are certainly uh, embracing uh, you know, our director in this one, yeah, and yeah. we signed him for another three films yeah, that's crazy. Uh, within the Star Wars universe, and we don't know where that's going to take right, us. because it's, it's new stuff this It's going to be right? brand new stuff. Yeah. It will not be in the Skywalker family, um, but you know, rest assured that you'll, there'll be uh, appearances and, and things that you'll know and love yeah. that will bridge the Star Wars universe. Uh, but I think that is a real testament. Before the film has even come out, we've locked him in for another three films. How important important are the are the the sort of the holy trinity or or maybe there's more than that but how important to the success of the Star Wars films are you know Luke Skywalker Han Solo Darth Vader Princess Leia if they're not there are we still going to line up to see these movies I think you know Time will tell. Yeah. Uh, I, I do believe so. I think Rogue One was a really good test mm-hmm. of that last year. Rogue One was a good war movie. It was a really you good know? film. One one of the rare films where everybody's gone at the end. And, yeah. uh, but, uh, oh, spoiler. <laughs> the last year's spoiler, not this yeah. year's spoiler. Uh, but it's, uh, I think that was a really good sort of test. Yeah. There was some bridge between some characters. Mm-hmm. but And I, I think, you know, this year, Last Jedi is uh, going to be incredibly special with being Carrie Fisher's final yeah. performance. Um, and, you know, we all kind of expected to see Luke in The Force Awakens. We didn't expect to have to wait till yeah. the last, you know, minute of the film. Uh, but what's incredibly exciting is, you know, this is the first time where we're actually picking up exactly where we left off. Right. Uh, that's never been done in the Star Wars universe. But I, I know as a fan, that's exactly what I want to see. I'm interested uh, to see the, the standalones. So every year there'll be, I guess, a Star Wars proper, you'll call it. And then every year, every other year, there'll be a standalone. And I'm interested uh, to see how those evolve because... The the Rogue One was a great war movie. And if you wanted to put a genre on, it's a science fiction movie, it's a Star Wars movie, but it was a war movie. And I'm wondering if we'll have, you know, Star Wars mystery in space, if there'll be a comedic one, if there'll be, you know, if they will try in those standalones to do something that you couldn't really do with one of the regular films. And I mean, you can't really answer that probably, but that's what I wonder, if, there, if there's a, a chance to really push the envelope here a little bit. And I think what you've seen on the in the Marvel universe mm-hmm. is uh, a good example of that, yeah. especially with the last Thor film. That you know there are some liberties being taken. It was a comedy. Yeah. It, it was a uh, you know de- definite in, in Taika's flavor. Yeah. Um, but I think you're. I think you know watching what Marvel has done over the time and and changed the genre of the films. I do expect that we will see something like that uh, in the Star Wars galaxy. That was Greg Mason, head of Lucasfilm Marketing in Canada. It's a big weekend. Star Wars fans everywhere are really excited about. Star Wars The Last Jedi. That includes my old buddy Seamus O'Regan. Worked with him on Canada AM for years. He's a former broadcaster. He now serves as Minister of Veterans Affairs. I asked him, what do you remember about the first time that you saw Star Wars? Uh, Six years old. Um, uh, I remember it plain as day. I remember my father taking me. uh, It was at the Avalon Mall in, in St. John's. And uh, it was the trash compactor scene. Freaked me out. <laughs> uh, curled up like a like a, a ball. Um, it was all I could draw. It was all I could do. It was an utter infatuation. But I think, you know, for those of us <clears throat> of a certain age, it it uh, it just it blew your mind. But there was a there was it was aspirational in that you know still one of my favorite scenes is Mark Hamill looking off into the two sons mm-hmm. uh, and realizing that there was so much more out there that he could see and uh, you know it I, I think it, it was it, it, it's it's an aspirational film 
um, and that when you see it at a young age, you know, it just captures that 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 fable, that central part of of any of any you know good myth. Uh, you know that that uh, you are somebody special. That there's more out there for you. I also asked Seamus O'Regan what he's excited about seeing in Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Ah. Uh, I'm so excited about the fact that I still don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I think Ryan Johnson's done. And, you know, it's sometimes, and J.J. proved this, uh, sometimes it's amazing when fanboys take over. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, and it, it looks like, it, it would, in J.J.'s case, it did. But I'm even more excited by Ryan because I think he's going to take more risks. Uh, I'm intrigued by the fact that he says he didn't get any direction on where to go. Um, and I'm amazed that they've allowed that much latitude. Uh, I mean, we've seen that they've changed directors on, on I think, what, two other projects now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously there's a limitation to this. But he, I, I'm really intrigued about where this is going to go. It, it looks beautiful. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to go into it with a certain level of ignorance. I mean, I... You know, sometimes late at night, you can't help but look up spoilers. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you just can't help it. Um, I'm still intrigued by Snoke. Uh, I hate the name, and I don't like the look, and I wasn't a big fan in The Force Awakens, but uh, there, I think there's something going on here. And I also think that J.J. is still more heavily involved than I think he's letting on. And I think, you know, there there is some direction provided here, and I... You know, I've, in J.J., I trust. In J.J., I trust. I, I think so, too. And Rian Johnson's the real deal, though. He's yeah. a real filmmaker. You know, yeah. it's, it, often in these big franchises, they'll bring in people who can just manage a budget and get something done on time. You know, they're journeymen. He's not that. He is a, he's, a, he's an artist. And I'm actually quite taken by the behind-the-scenes shots of him and Carrie Fisher, who seem to really mm-hmm. have bonded. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I well up. I, I can't believe how I'm welling up every time I see the images of her now. Um, I think uh, I think she's I think she's going to own this film, and uh, you know, partially obviously because of uh, you know the, the nostalgia for her uh, and and how we feel about her passing. But but I think she really I think just based on what I've seen, I think this is going to be a knockout performance by her as well. I think so too, and, and good for her. And she helped write it as well. Yeah, that's and a she's thing. A terrific writer mm-hmm. and a great wit. So I think this this has got all the makings of a of a terrific film. I'm also a huge Daisy fan. Yeah, me too. Uh, I think she walked away with Force Awakens. I you know sometimes huge casting calls uh, can can you can find the right one. They hit pay dirt with her. They, they sure did. She's a rock star. And well, she held the center of one of the most anticipated movies of the decade. Yes. You know, and that's tough to do. It's intimidating. I can't even imagine the amount of pressure you're under, and yet there it is. The movie was a big hit, and she was amazing in it. With an emotionally riveting performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when she cried, she cried. Yeah. It's not easy. That's Seamus O'Regan, Star Wars fan and Minister of Veterans Affairs. Coming up after the break, Teddy Wilson and Morgan Hoffman from Inner Space on the Space Channel join us. We nerd out about Star Wars The Last Jedi. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause, and this is an hour-long, spoiler-free look at Star Wars The Last Jedi. To get right to the heart of the matter, we assembled a team of experts to geek out about the film. That's Teddy Wilson and Morgan Hoffman from Interspace on the Space Channel. I started off by asking Teddy if he remembers the first time that he saw Star Wars. 
I was born in 1976, so I'm, I'm 41. I did not see the original A New Hope in 1977 when it first hit theaters. I So the first one I saw in the theaters was when I was seven years old, 1983, and that's episode uh, six. You got to yep. do the mental gymnastics. But the third film that was released, Return of the Jedi, I saw that with my parents. But then I went about a year later. This was well before IMAX or big Ultra mm-hmm. AVX screens. And my uncle took me to see it at the National Arts Center in Ottawa on what would be kind of the equivalent of a giant right. IMAX screen now. So that was my real formative memory was just seeing it on that screen, seeing the Millennium Falcon up there. And did it blow your mind? It absolutely <laughs> blew my mind. Yeah, it absolutely did. And um, I still remember seeing the original on on VHS. I think we actually had Beta. We were a Beta family. So I watched the first and the second one, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, but then seeing Return of the Jedi in the theaters absolutely blew my mind. And Morgan? Yeah, so a big tradition in my family, especially around Christmas time, is to just watch tons and tons of movies. And my parents are both big sci-fi fans, but it was all Star Trek in my family. Like, that was the sci-fi of choice. Uh, (laughs) So it wasn't until, like, my early teenage years that my dad just decided, okay, let's just watch all three films. I think it was VHS. And when I watched it, I wasn't sure what I was, you know, there's so much that I've read about. And to set the stage a little bit, was it a big TV? Or oh, like a little, like it wasn't like people have sixty inch TVs no, now and it really surround sound and stuff. It was like a regular TV it, that people had it, in their homes, it's right? It's so true. Yeah. yeah, no flat screen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't that big to be quite honest. Right. It was color though. Yeah. So okay, there we go. We can put that out there. Um. So and so I was just like, okay, let's just see what this is like. I loved it. Yeah. I watched all three in a row. Took all day. It was so great. Um. And I just could not get over Princess Leia. I mean, I grew up watching, you know, Disney princesses and different princesses, you know, in films and and television shows. But then you have this, can I say badass? You can if you like. You have this badass princess (laughs) uh, who speaks her mind, uh, stealing plans of the Death Star, is getting tortured, essentially. I mean, and she's not giving anything away. There is a bit of a love story there, but she's annoyed by him half the time. I mean, it was just... Wow, I just loved it. Yeah, her title was Princess, but it was like no other princess you had seen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, amazing. And that was sort of your portal into it then. It it was, yeah. And then (laughs) I I did see the prequel films Mm -hmm. in the theaters because I'm a little bit older then. And I have to I have to admit something. Teddy said it was okay that I admit this on air. I actually (laughs) fell asleep watching Revenge of the Sith. And that's arguably the better the best one out of the the prequel trilogy i think it's the best of the prequels but yeah you cannot be blamed still oh man yeah. and you know what it was so bad it was when the huge obi-wan and uh anakin fighting and the lava was spewing right. i mean that was the climax mm-hmm. right and i fell asleep oh i can't believe i'm over, admitting that you were overwhelmed <laughs> yeah. that's what it is and and then teddy what was your portal in like what was the thing it was not just the spectacle of it was there a character that you identified with did you like the story of good versus evil because mm-hmm. i think for me i saw it in 1977 when it came out and i was i was young i was 13 probably and i had never seen anything like it mm-hmm. i mean there had there weren't films like that before this one but i think i walked away um having seen something that I thought was really cool. I liked the the sci-fi and I liked the spaceships and I liked all mm-hmm. that stuff. But it's a story of good and evil. And, you know, ultimately that's kind of what it pairs down to. It's really primal and that's, I think, what I connected with. Well, yeah, I mean, what first really kind of was my gateway in was the fact that I, I have an older sibling. I have an older brother. He's three years older than me, Ken. And he got me into so much of what I love today. So the first thing that drew me to it was this was something that my older brother, right. who we didn't get along, but I did secretly really look up to him and his tastes. He loved. He was over the top about Star Wars. So that was my first gateway in. And then when I saw the films, 
you, I think one of the great things about Star Wars is the characters are very archetypal, you mm -hmm. know? George Lucas, back in the 70s when this came out of the wellspring of his mind, he took a lot of influence from filmmakers like Akira Kurosawa, but then also the, the writer and, and um, kind of cultural analyst Joseph Campbell and the hero with the thousand faces. The, the archetypal hero's journey is very much in there. So I think everybody identifies with these characters differently, and they are kind of historically archetypal. I would love to say that for me, Han Solo, the badass, <laughs> was the one that really attracted me. But for me, it really was Luke. I mean, yeah. George Lucas did a great job of making you feel like that person. You know, Luke was basically working on a farm for his aunt and uncle on kind of an obscure planet. And then he's thrown into this this world of kind of supernatural, fantastical stuff. He's sent on this journey. It changes him. And that's very much the root of the, the hero's journey. And it worked a thousand percent perfectly for me because I really identified with Luke. And... Have you stayed? A big... I was from the suburbs, so that was like. <laughs> that was like being <laughs> a fan. Felt like you were from a different planet. Yeah, somewhere. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And have you remained a fan all the way through? I mean, you didn't like the the. It, it, they weren't my favorite, but I think at the time I had really huge expectations right. going in, and I was such a huge fan of Hayden Christensen. Like that was for ah. me that because he had done a Canadian television show called Higher Ground that yeah. I was obsessed with, right. um, and he did another one too with ah, I forget the name of it, but it was this indie film that he had done, and I was like, this guy's gonna nail it, right. and I just didn't really connect with Anakin, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, I, the, when the first prequel came out in, it was the end of the 90s, so I was in my early 20s. I was very excited to go see Phantom Menace. And I remember seeing it, and you know, that opening crawl comes up. Mm -hmm. Even before that, the Lucasfilm logo comes up, and then the opening crawl. And I was so excited through the whole film, and I got out of it, and I was like, that was great. And then you're like, wait, was, was it? That was that great? And, <laughs> wait a second. It, it was, was that actually bad? It was a film about treaties and packs. Yeah. yeah. And then you saw the second one, which I think is actually the weakest weakest yeah. of the prequels, Attack of the Clones. There's just so much just unnecessary uh, dialogue in there. And uh, and then the last prequel I thought was the strongest of the three, especially that last 20 minutes. But yeah, I mean, I think they were just pale comparisons to the original trilogy. But I remember coming out of the theater and being like, wait, was that good? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> But we well, stuck with it, right? Well, That's what we fans do. Well, right. I, I think they call that a refrigerator movie. So you're you're watching the movie and you feel good about it while you're watching it. And then later on when you're at home and you're making a snack, you're standing in front of the refrigerator and you go, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> wait that a didn't second. make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> All I remember thinking was after I had seen the original trilogy, I knew that those were films I was going to watch again. Like right. I, I'm somebody who, if I love a film, I watch it over and over. It's just my comfort. And I just didn't feel that way with the prequels at all. It is fascinating, though, because George Lucas, as fans know, directed all three of the prequels. Mm -hmm. He only directed the original film. That's and right. then his hands weren't as on Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So it's fascinating, though, that the guy who created this whole universe, this whole galaxy, and that's part of what I think we all love about Star Wars, is it is a very detailed galaxy. That came originally from his mind. Mm -hmm. He had more to do with the prequels, and they were much worse. So I think, you know, when he made that first film especially, he had... Kind of not a huge budget at the time, right. and it was maybe a little bit of uh, necessity was the mother of invention, and maybe with the prequels he just had too many options, too much, too many yeah. CGI options. That's for sure. Agreed. We've, we've had uh, people in here time after time uh, who have made films on smaller budgets, yeah. and they've said, you know, when you have unlimited money. Terry Gilliam told me once, for instance, that in uh, the Holy Grail movie, he wanted to have King Arthur and his men come over a hilltop on horseback, but they only had a million bucks to make the entire movie, and it was going to cost 
$25,000 or something. So he said, I can't afford it. So he put them all on broomsticks and had someone, right. you know, with the coconuts <laughs> making the coughing sound. And he said, now that's the scene that everybody remembers from the movie. If I had had money, I just would have had him on horseback and no one would have given that scene a second thought. It was born of constraints, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the success of that first movie is it yeah. feels inventive. And it feels a little scrappy, too, which is, I think, kind of great. It feels scrappy, as I'm sure you know, George Lucas pitched that around to every studio. <laughs> they all said it. no. no one wanted it. Fox eventually took it. Instead of taking a higher director's rate, which he was offered after yep. the success of American Graffiti, he said, famously said no in, like, the greatest deal ever made. He said, no, but I want the sequel rights and the um, the merchandising rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was scrappy. <laughs> he, he was Which is upstart. where a lot of that money's come from. Yeah. <laughs> he was underestimated, you know? That's just a little bit of my conversation from Teddy Wilson and Morgan Hoffman from Inner Space on the Space Channel. When we come back, we continue talking about Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. We convened a panel of Star Wars experts. That's Teddy Wilson and Morgan Hoffman from Inner Space on the Space Channel. You can see it every single day. They talk about everything science fiction related. Today, they took a few minutes out to talk about Star Wars The Last Jedi, and I asked Morgan how she feels about the newer Star Wars films. Oh, man, I love what J.J. Abrams did and everyone with Disney and Lucasfilm with Force Awakens. And I know there was a lot of people that said, oh, it's too similar to A New Hope. I, I, I t- and I get that. I thought it was a nice reintroduction Thank you. To, to that franchise. Uh, 100%. It was familiar enough feeling right. that you could kind of, it was like a warm blanket. You put it on and go, oh yeah, no, I remember this. Exactly. And it'll change as the more and more of the films come out, it will change. Absolutely. And and I think that the, that is such a hard thing to do. I mean, I think people, not everyone, I mean, tons of people love Force Awakens, mm-hmm. but to be able to appeal to the older fans, the fans who were there from the beginning, and then usher in this new uh, fandom, the, you know, parents are bringing their kids. And yeah, so yeah. you do have to reintroduce what was so great about the original trilogy, but then introduce these new characters. And, you know, speaking of strong female characters, like with me being so in love with Princess Leia, now you have Rey come in. Right. And Rey yeah. is leading the charge oh, yeah. with these films and her storyline and what's happening with her and trying to figure out who she is, where she comes from. I fell in love with Daisy Ridley mm-hmm. and, of course, with tons of other characters as well that were introduced in Force Awakens, but Rey really solidified it for me. Well, I liked that Rey didn't feel like... Oh, we got to have a female character in here no. somewhere. Let's just you know put her in. She is integral to the story. She belongs there. Yeah. And Daisy Ridley's great. She's so, She's so great. great. Yeah. yeah. And just some of the other strong characters too. Like, and I, I have to tell you the only only negative thing I have to say about Force Wagons because I do I love it so much is Gwendolyn Christie. I wanted more. I wanted yeah. more Captain Phasma. Captain Phasma I, I think yeah. we might get that in the new movie. I hope so. I think we may. And it's also interesting. You talk talking about the hero's journey. You know, that's that's Daisy Ridley as well. Mm-hmm. This is her yeah. first big feature. Mm-hmm. She talked about like serving tables a year or two before. So she was on kind of her own hero's journey, as was Ray. Uh, Teddy, you must have been, and I think we were all at the first screening mm-hmm. of The Force Awakens. It was a press screening. It was a week or so before the movie opened. And do you remember that screening? Like how excited they were? Like I've, I go to a lot of these things, as you guys do. Sure. And that is 
the most kind of electric, I think, of any of these that I've been to. It's amazing. It's amazing when literally the the logo for the uh, yeah. the company can elicit that <laughs> response, elicit cheers, and that's when you see the Lucasfilm logo. That's that's exactly what it does. It was absolutely electric. I think it really delivered. I thought the mirror imaging I could have done with like twenty percent less of the mirror imaging of the plot of A New Hope, right. but I also think it was a great way to make, as you said, like longtime fans feel comfortable. Yeah. And it's also a hook that they know works, that that kind of format. So I hope they get away from that a little bit more with this n- new film. Uh, but I think it was a great entree and a g- great gateway for people. It's intergenerational, Star Wars. And unlike any other franchise, I, I was trying to rack my brain a little bit and think maybe James Bond. It's possible that James mm-hmm. Bond, they've been around for a very long time and they, they've done very well. But um, Star Wars seems to be the, the one that, like, you know, if you were 12 in 1977, you could theoretically have grandkids now that you could take to see The Last Jedi. And so why do you think it is that uh, these movies appeal to people in, in the broad way that they do? That is such a good question. And I think that's something that is so fun to talk about because I don't know if there's one specific thing, yeah. but for me, all I can say is it's just you fall in love with these characters. You fall in love with this world. It feels like anything's possible. You're always rooting for somebody. There's always a good villain. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's almost like every aspect of Star Wars is what makes it so <laughs> powerful for people. And I, I don't know I don't know what that is specifically, but for me it's just falling in love with these characters, falling in love with the new droids, the porgs and <laughs> the upcoming the film. I mean there's just always I'm something new. I'm not sure new. whether the Porgs are good or evil, though. Ooh. That's the thing. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I like are that. Are they good or evil? Because they're cute and cuddly looking. Yeah, it but would they've be, got those little teeth. But they've Did got those little those? teeth, yeah. yeah. So it would be better if they're evil. Yeah. It would be. <laughs> I hope they're evil. It would be amazing if they were evil, like the gremlins, right? Like gremlins. Yeah. Like they that they would start be... as Mogwai. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, you know, you mentioned the intergeneration ap- appeal of the franchise. I think part of the appeal is also the intergenerational nature of the films themselves in right. terms of characters that are represented. It is this hero's journey. It is a fantastical, amazing world. But really at its core, it's also about friendship. It's about family. And you have multi-generations, whether it's like the mm-hmm. father, you mm-hmm. know, Darth Vader who's gone yeah, to the yeah. dark side, or the son, or the, the grandkids. You've got the granddad there and Yoda back in the originals. <laughs> um, so I think the, the movies themselves are intergenerational. And I really think at their core, they're, they are about relationships that we can identify with, mm-hmm. even if they're put in these fa- fantastical realms. All the best genre movies, whether they're science fiction or sports movies or whatever they are, like sports movies are never really about the big game at the end of the mm-hmm. film. They're about loyalty. They're about, you know, kinship. They're about whatever it might be, uh, com- uh, overcoming adversity, that kind of thing. And I think Star Wars is that as well. It's not about re- the lasers are cool. Darth Vader <laughs> right. is cool. But it's really <laughs> about primal stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I think the temptation of power is a, is right. a really, really big theme and in these really films. Time right now. Absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of real-world parallels that we see in terms of not just historically, but also kind of in in terms of modern politics and and world events. And that temptation of power theme throughout the Star Wars films is, I think, a very, very compelling one. The notion of fall from grace, Mm -hmm. fall to the dark side. We see that in Kylo Ren, this new character. I hope in this new film Mm -hmm. we get more about his fall from grace because we know, spoilers, that he was originally Ben Solo. He yep. was Han and Leia's kid. Mm-hmm. I'd like more background on that. And I want more background about Luke's exile to that island as well. Well, and I really want to know, will there be a redemption story when it comes to Kylo Ren like we saw with Darth Vader in the original mm-hmm. trilogy? I mean, 
the first time I saw the films, like, you know, in a row, I thought, oh, this guy's just always going to be bad. We're never going to really know what happened. We're never really good. And then at the end, he saves Luke. And so you just in the original trilogy. And yes. so, you know, and I didn't hate Vader anymore. So I'm just, <laughs> you know, I was like feeling for the guy. So, you know, I, I, I'm so curious to see what they're going to do with this journey. And then, of course, the teases with the last, um, uh, the teases with the upcoming film, like, is Ray going to be tempted? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. Ray going to go to the dark side? Is Ray going to, you know, stick with Luke? Like, who knows? And so, yeah, that's always really exciting. Well, and the question of her family lineage is mm-hmm. perhaps the biggest question yeah. mark at this point. Now, do you think that uh, all the stuff that we've just talked about, the primal nature of the stories, the fall from grace, all that stuff, is enough to keep people interested like two or three movies down the road here when Han Solo is no longer in them? Carrie Fisher is no longer with us. Uh, You know, as we move away from the core stuff, uh, do you think that people will still be lining up on a Friday night on opening day to see these movies? It. I think it had the potential, you know, it was only five years ago, remember, that Disney bought Lucasfilm. And in the last three years, we've got a new Star Wars film each year. Mm -hmm. So it's amazing that we're getting all this content. That is a risk, I think, as you get away from the core. But I think they've made the new characters so fantastic and so compelling. Uh, Finn, Rey, Poe Dameron, the list goes on and on. But I actually don't think that's a risk in this case because I think it could have happened. But the new characters are so strong. And also with those new characters is coming a brand new fan base who didn't necessarily grow right. up with the originals. Right. So for, for them, Ray is their Luke or their Leia. For them, you know, uh, Finn is their Han Solo. So I actually don't think it's going to happen. I think people will stay engaged. I wanted more Poe Dameron. Poe's great. Yeah, yeah. Poe is He's great. He's a great character and a good actor, Oscar Isaac, and I didn't oh. think that they did enough with him the first time around. Yeah, I think as we all expected, he would be as big as, well, I personally did. I thought he his character was going to have as much screen time as Ray and yeah, Finn, yeah. and then he didn't. Now, I... I have seen you at fan expos and things. You guys sign autographs and you have long lineups and you have lots of people that want to talk to you. Our autographs are free, which has something to do with (laughs) it. Yeah, I was going to say, you're making it seem way cooler than we are. That has something to do with the line. But you charge uh, 400 bucks for a photo. Is that it? The autographs are free. We give you 400 bucks if you'll take a photo with us. But, But you must have a lot of interaction with fans. Uh, talking with them or, you know, getting in contact with you through the show. It's a very interactive kind of thing on Twitter. Um, What are they saying about this? For me, the most impactful thing that I see at a con in the last few years since uh, Star Wars has kind of rebooted and restarted is is young kids in cosplay with new characters and especially young girls mm-hmm. um, cosplaying as Rey. Yeah. It's so important. You know, one of my favorite scenes in the, in the, in the first film, in uh, The Force Awakens, was just that moment where they're running away from an explosion on Jakku. It's Finn and Rey. Finn grabs her hand, yeah, you know, she, to save her, and yeah. she says, stop grabbing my hand. Yeah, yeah. And in one of the screenings I was at, everybody cheered. Yeah. And I thought that was such an amazing, such an important moment. And so at these cons, when I see young kids cosplaying as Finn or as Rey, it's hugely impactful. And what you hear from them is just how excited they are, and it really just does drive home that for them it's important as Han, Luke, and Leia were to us growing up, and that's what really strikes me. Yeah, especially going to Fan Expo in Toronto. I mean, over the past five years, I have noticed a a difference. Um, I love men. I'm not putting down men, but I, I generally saw more men. Um, coming up to the booth, talking to us. And over the years, I've really seen a difference with females coming in, which is great. And then the little kids. And they I was on a shoot the other day, and an R2-D2, life-size R2-D2, came up to this two-year-old. Okay, two years <laughs> old. He was freaking oh, out. Sure. It meant so much to him. And it was just really, there's something so special about that when characters and droids can really affect 
children, but like you were saying, I've seen a lot of young girls cosplay as Ray, and it's just it just warms my heart. That's Teddy Wilson and Morgan Hoffman from Interspace on the Space Channel. Now we recorded that conversation before any of us had seen the film. Now we've all seen Star Wars: The Last Jedi, and here's what I thought. May the Force be with you. The new film, directed by Ryan Johnson, is an epic space opera. At almost two and a half hours long, it picks up exactly where The Force Awakens dropped off, continuing the story of Snoke and his continued quest to take over the galaxy. We've got Kylo Ren, played by Adam Driver, is back. Rey, played by Daisy Ridley, is back. John Boyega is back as Finn. All the characters that you want to see are here and more. This is a movie that advances the story several paces uh, in a film that felt just a hint long at the very end, but I think that Star Wars fans are absolutely going to go crazy for this. There's new characters, there's new creatures in the form of the Porgs, uh, and lots of action. It's also much funnier than you might think it would be. The trailers haven't really given you an idea that there are belly laughs all the way through Star Wars The Last Jedi. It gets a big recommend from us, I'm sure, Teddy and Morgan enjoyed the film as well. I'll talk to them and I'll report back to you. Um, that's it. That's all the time we have for our look at Star Wars The Last Jedi. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Robert Turner on the board. And we'll talk again next week. Hey!